Do you think that many of us, most of us, are obsessed or at least highly concerned with what other people think of us? Is that a problem, do you think, for most people? That what other people think or what other people will think or how other people will act or react to the way we live or what we say or how we dress or whatever it might be. Do you think that affects the way we live? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. I believe it does. Do you think that uh, when we become obsessed with what other people think and how we're perceived and all of those things, that that can really be a stumbling block for us? That that can really cause us trouble in life in a general sense? Do you think that can get in the way of us truly following Jesus and doing what he's asked us to do? Amen. So we recognize the Bible says, fear of man bringeth a snare. It's a trap. It's a trap. Anytime we are, are concerned with pleasing everybody, it can really be troublesome. It can cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of confusion. It can lead us into many types of sins. An old man, a boy, and a donkey were going to town. The boy rode on the donkey and the old man walked. As they went along, they passed some people who remarked, it was a shame. The old man was walking and the boy was riding. The man and boy thought maybe the critics were right, so they changed positions. Later, they passed some people that remarked, what a shame that he makes that little boy walk. They then decided that, well, maybe we'll both walk. So soon they passed by some more people who thought they were stupid to walk when they had a decent donkey to ride. So they both rode on the donkey. Now they passed by some more people that shamed them by saying how awful to put such a load on a poor donkey. The boy and the man said, well, they're probably right, so they decided to carry the donkey. (laughs) And as they crossed the bridge, they lost their grip on the animal, and he fell into the river and drowned. And it just shows us we can cause uh, ourselves and, and those that know us a lot of problems. It can be a real pitfall when we try to please everybody. I wonder if I ask this question, how many in here have ever had a time in your life where you were embarrassed or ashamed to tell someone or to let on that you were a Christian? In a certain context, in a certain meeting, in a certain place, that conversation came up in which you sort of shied away from admitting or confessing that you didn't agree with what was being said or you were a little ashamed to mention or to admit that you were a Christian. Would anybody say that that has happened to them? I think it's happened to all of us at one point or another. Could be at work, maybe in a family gathering. Because we we, kind of want, we we know what they're going to say if we let on that we're Christians and that we know they, they think Christianity is dumb and that Christians don't know how to think and that we're just religious zealots and I just don't want the hassle, so I'm just not going to say anything. Well, we pick up in verse 32 with the word therefore. And the word therefore, we can't really start there because something came before. So we have to look before to see why Matthew writes, therefore, why Jesus said, therefore, what we just came through is a discussion of fearing people. He's sending the disciples out. They've become apostles. They've been made apostles. They're being sent out ones to share the the message that the kingdom of God is at hand. And as they go out, there's no doubt fear. They're going to face persecution. They're going to face difficulty. They're going to be, you know, they treated Jesus poorly. So they're going to treat those connected to Jesus poorly as well. 
And he keeps telling them, you know, well, don't fear. Don't fear people. Don't fear them. And we just talked about in verse 27, he says, do not fear those that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And then he begins to explain just how valuable they are to him. That he knows he has the hairs on their head numbered. And the same thing applies to us. We are very valuable to the Lord. Now, here's the thing about people pleasing. Because he, he goes on to say, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who's in heaven. So here's what happens is we have this feeling that we don't want to disappoint or we don't want to, uh, those people that we see or that we're dealing with to, to think bad or wrongly about us. So we just keep, sh- keep quiet because, well, we want to impress them because we're really... Uh, it's not, it's not a fear in the sense of phobia of them, but fear in terms of revering them or caring what they think. And so because we care what they think, we don't say anything, but God says, well, do you care what I think? Do you care what, how about me over here? And here's the truth about people pleasing, that those people that you're trying to please, they don't care about you half as much as God does. They don't know what you wore last week. Nor do they even care. Those who are busy, they're so busy caring about what they're wearing. You know, you spend all this time in the morning picking out the clothes because what will people think if I wear this? What will people think if I wear that? And then you come to church thinking everybody's looking at you and nobody's looking. They're all more concerned about what they're wearing. The truth is we're all inherently selfish and we're all inherently more concerned with ourselves and we think other people are as concerned with us as we are. But the truth is we're all concerned about ourselves. For the most part. And so when it comes to confessing or and and when he says confess, it means to agree with or to say the same thing. And it really means a willingness to be associated with publicly because he says, look, whoever confesses me where before men. Before men, that means in front of other people, right? That's a simple interpretation. You don't have to be a theologian to get that. Whoever confesses me, whoever's willing to be identified with me in the presence of other people, I will be willing to be identified with you in the presence of God. And that's what you want when you get to heaven. When you stand before the Lord, it's not going to be, here are my good works, here's all the things I did. It's going to be, I'm connected with your son, the righteous one, the lamb that's been slain. And since God cares for us so intimately, and so personally, would it make sense that we want to be identified with him? Because he also says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father. Now, that's interesting. If you have kids, you know what that means. Deny means to deny by way of disowning or disavowing. Now, all of a sudden, our son, when he's misbehaving, becomes it's her son. He's your son. You know, I don't know him. He's. Make, pulling cereal boxes off the shelf in the grill. I don't know that kid. I don't know where he came from. It's, it's, it's her son. I don't, when they're doing good, they're our kids. You know, oh, yes, that's my son. You know, got straight A's or whatever. That's, that's, my, that's my girl. That's my daughter. But, man, when they're misbehaving, when they're causing trouble, when they're creating a ruckus, oh, I don't know where they came from. So we sort of, I say that in a humorous way, but what about a less humorous way? What about if you were getting married? And there you, you would pr- pronounce the love for one another and then... Uh, then she says to you, well, well let's have a, a public ceremony. Let's get married and let's let everybody know. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Why, why do we have to go that far? I mean, we have to like have a where people are going to come to the ceremony. I'd rather just keep this between you and I. What do you think that woman would say to that man if he said, well, I, let's just keep our love secret. 
let's not let people know that we really love each other. That'd be like horrifying. I mean, that would end it right there, right? That would be terrible. Because there's, there's a, when we love someone, we, we don't mind being identified with them. No matter what other people, when you love someone, it doesn't care what, you don't care what other people think. Well, this is the problem Peter ran into. Our friend Peter, the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth in Matthew twenty-six sixty-nine. Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. And it's a strengthened form of the same word that's used there and here. And then, of course, he denies the Lord three times. Hey, aren't you with Jesus? No, no, not me. Sorry, I don't, I don't know the man. Even to the final, to the third time where he even curses and says, I don't know him. Blippity, blippity, blip. He completely denies knowing the Lord. Now, do you think that Peter's in heaven? Well, I think he is too. And so we see that although maybe there's been a time in your life where you have denied the Lord, that that's not, that doesn't have to be your final answer. Because uh, Peter was restored to ministry. He said, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And when when Jesus was resurrected, seen alive, uh, he said, go tell the apostles and Peter. Go make sure Peter knows I'm alive. And, of course, Peter has a wonderful ministry after that. But, you know, maybe you have in your past denied knowing the Lord, not being being wanted to be identified with Him. But today is a new day. I wouldn't want to die in the condition of denial. Denying Him with my life, denying Him with my words, denying Him um, in in general. So, maybe if you found yourself, you know, I've, I've been ashamed of Him, been denying Him, maybe today... Where is a day where you want to come out and say, you know what, that's where I put my, my name tag, I'm his. I'm his. Whatever, mean, whatever that means, whatever that's connected with, that's okay. I'm his. You know, and week after week we preach the word of God here. And, and there have been times, where I don't often alt, uh, offer an altar call. But there have been times where I've just known that there's someone in here that, that is in their heart knowing that they need to give their, their life to Jesus Christ. But there is a fear that settles over this room and of any room where you could easily profess Christ as Savior, where we celebrated here. I mean, we're overjoyed to see someone, but yet you sit in the chair and then afterwards you'll come up and say, oh, that was for me. Why is that? He says, well, I don't want people to to see that I I need the Lord. I mean, really? Around here? You don't want people to see? That's why we're here. Because we all know we need the Lord. So look, if if it's... Something going on in this room. Who cares what other people think? When you, when you praise the Lord, you know, put your hands up in there if you want to. Just don't distract people and call attention to yourself. That's, that's another sermon altogether. So let's move on. Do, do, not think, <clears throat> excuse me, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Silly us. We thought the Christmas story was peace on earth and goodwill toward man. And if you read that, it actually says, peace on earth toward men of goodwill. And we think, gee, well, you know, funny thing, I did think Jesus came to bring peace, and he did in certain ways. He came to bring peace in my heart, peace with God. He did come to bring peace. But he also came to bring truth, didn't he? He also came to bring truth. And when someone comes and says, this is the truth, there are others that say, I don't think that's the truth. And now he's come to bring a sword. There is a, a sword as an instrument of division, an instrument of war. 
when you and I stand for something, we naturally stand against other things. When we take a stand as followers of Jesus Christ, and we say, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and He's the only way, there are others that don't like that message. And so therefore, we have now, by association to Jesus, pitted ourselves against those that also don't like Jesus. So it's in that sense, he says, don't think that I came to bring peace but a sword. He forces us to make a choice. Jesus Christ forces every person in the world to make a choice. For or against. You can't say, I'm just going to straddle the fence, I'm just going to be neutral. You're either for him or you're against him, he says. Those that are not for me are against me, those that are, uh, well... We'll leave it at that. Those that are not for me are against me. Because we say, well, I'm just going to be neutral to Jesus. But he said, I came to bring not peace, but a sword. Read on. Where does the sword begin oftentimes? I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Where does the sword begin? It begins right in our home, doesn't it? Sometimes, maybe you've been raised in a Christian home and everybody's unified around that. And that's a wonderful thing when you have that. That's a real man. You are blessed. You are blessed. But the sword reaches into our home and, and it can make family gatherings tense, can it? I mean, family gatherings can be difficult. And I have an ongoing conversation with my father when I go home because um, he doesn't believe like I believe. I love the man. The Bible does tell me, honor my mother and father. That's not negotiable. So believing differently from them doesn't release me from still honoring them. My dad is still my dad. My mom is still my mom. My brother is still my brother. And I I love them. I care about them. But when it comes to discussions on religion, boy, get out the sword. We believe differently. And here's the interesting thing. I don't think our families really care what we believe as long as it doesn't affect the way we live. I think it really matters. It really begins to be a problem. It's not just when we say we're followers of Jesus, but when we actually begin to follow Jesus and we start reading our Bible, say, oh, no, you know, I have a reputation for just being, whatever I do, I'm going to do it zealously. And so when I, you know, became a Christian, my dad, oh, there goes Steve again. You know, what next? And it's just another phase I'm going through, another thing I've happened upon. It'll last for a time and it'll, you know, wither away. But then I began to change my life, and God began to change my life. And now this really freaked my dad out. Here I am as a pastor, and he doesn't know what to do with that. Uh, as long as I don't get too unreasonable, you know, as long as I, I have health insurance and all those things, and whatever, you know. Talking to the pastor from Calvary Chapel uh, Bible College in Siegen, Germany, uh, we were talking about how the Calvary Chapel churches that are planted over there, and probably many, you know, any evangelical church that stands for the truth, uh, people think they're, they're the parents of the kids, kids get saved, right, in the churches. They're really reaching out to the youth and really connecting with the youth who've, who have kind of fallen by the wayside with the Orthodox church and, and all the traditional church there, but they're really being regathered, and, and Jesus Christ is changing their lives, and they're making different moral choices. Now, in Germany, it's quite acceptable and very prevalent and normal for a, a young man or young woman to have uh, physical, intimate relations before they're married. It's just the way they are. It's just the way life is there in Europe. It's accepted. It's promoted in some ways. 
And so these kids are getting saved and they're taking a moral stand and they're coming home and saying, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. And the parents call up the church and say, what are, you guys, what are you guys, some kind of cult? I mean, what are you doing to our kids? You're brainwashing our kids. They don't want to sleep around anymore. What kind of freaky place are you? And the parents get upset because their, their behavior has changed. And whoa, you know, we can say what we believe all we want, but when our behavior changes, wow, that's when our parents start to freak out and, and people around us go, what's going on? I mean, if you grew up in a Muslim home and you changed to be a Christian, that presents a problem because now you live differently. And that's where the problem is. Again, this is why being part of the body of Christ, the family of God, is so important. Because when we have that difficulty with our natural family, when, it, when we're not accepted by them or we're not understood by them, and amen, they don't understand us. We have this group. Matthew 12, Jesus is told his brothers and his mother are outside seeking to speak with him. And maybe you know the verse. He, he answered and said to them, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And in some ways, you guys are as much or more family to us. My kids have like 25 grandmothers and grandfathers and brothers and sisters galore. And I mean, we've got just a great church family. This is a quote from Micah 7, 6, just in case you like to do cross-references. That's what Matthew or Jesus is quoting here. Look at verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, it, it, if you're trying to, ple- to please your father, please your mother, to do what makes them happy. I mean, think about James and John, the sons of Zebedee. There they are in their fishing boat, and Jesus says, follow me. And they leave their nets and follow Jesus. Some Zebedee is like, hey. Where are you guys going? Come on, there's fish to catch. This is the family business. You can't leave and go doing that. You've got the family business to run. Oh, Jesus, we'd love to follow you, but dad's family business. Can't really do it. You see what Jesus is saying? You only have room for one master passion, master love in your life. And that's the one you want to please at all costs. And so if you're trying, if you're concerned about what your parents think and what, what people are going to say and those kind of things, then it may be hard. They, their different beliefs and following the way you grew up with them that may make it hard to do what Jesus is telling you to do, to go where Jesus is calling you to go. I mean, forget about it. Okay, you can go to church. You can even go two days a week. But man, don't talk about like orphanages in Europe or orphanages in Germany or, or uh, Ukraine or wherever. Don't do that stuff. That's just crazy. But you know, Dad, that's where I've got to go. That's where I'm called to go. I've got to do it. And you say goodbye, you know, to, to parents. To, and, and you go and you follow. And it can be very hard. And he who does, let's see, verse 37, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that's a common thing. You know, I'll follow Jesus when the kids are out of, out of the house. I'll follow Jesus when the kids are grown. You know, right now we've got sports. We've got, you know, recreation stuff. We've got clubs. We've got vacations. We've got all this stuff we've got to do for the kids. Because I want to give the kids the best I can. You know what? If you don't have Jesus first in your life, it's very possible for you to ruin your kids. Because you put them in the place of God. Or you put your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife in the place of God for you. And it's too much, 
it's too much for that relationship to handle. You can't find satisfaction. You can't find fulfillment in those relationships because you will wear them out because you need from them. And if you need from your kids, you need to see them successful. You need to see them uh, going on and, and being ambitious and all those things. Then you can tend to put an undue amount of pressure and ruin the very relationship you're trying to, to make good or to, to save or to create. But when Jesus is first, Jesus tells us how to love our kids, doesn't he? It's not that Jesus is against family. Jesus is very pro-family. And that's why, you know, these verses are tough because people don't understand. When Helga looks at me or I look at her, we tell each other, look, we love Jesus more than Jesus is the most important thing, has to be the most important thing in my life. If my wife is is the most important thing uh, to me, then I end up having to manipulate her because I need her. And so I need to get from her. or She needs to get from me. And, you know, we both come full to the relationship. And then we don't need each other. When we don't need each other, we're free to love one another. Because we're already loved unconditionally and selflessly by Jesus Christ. Look, look at verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me, it's not worthy of me. So we see this repetition, not worthy of me, not worthy of me, not worthy of me. And I, and I don't think, you know, it's the word axios, which is where we get, you know, axis. And it's kind of like, if, you're, if, you're, if you want to follow your parents, you might, it might not balance out to follow me too. If you want to care about what people think, it may not balance out to follow what, what I'm telling you to do. There's things may not be equal, may not be balanced out. And so he says, look, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, then you're not worthy of me. I mean, just imagine for a second you were a musician or an artist, and you had aspirations to be the best that you could, and you found somewhere in the country or somewhere in the world that the best artist in the same type of art that you do, that you could learn from them, that you could apprentice with them, and you could learn all their secrets, and you could follow them, be a disciple of them. Wow, that would be great. I, I would really be... I could really learn. And you said, well, I'm, I'm over here in, in, you know, Italy. Come on over. Well, I, I'd love to come learn from you, but I live here in America, and it's just really not practical for me to go there. But can you send me stuff on the Internet? You know, can, you, can I Facebook you, and we'll do it that way? Says, no, there's only one way to do it, and you've got to come here where I am and so I can teach you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, He's saying, you've got to come here where I am so I can teach you. The cross is an instrument of humiliation. It's an instrument of death. And there's, you know, we okay, I'll follow Jesus. I'm going to take up my Bible. I'm going to take up my theology studies. I'll, I'll take up even a place of service in the church. I'll even take up going to a small group. And none of those things are what Jesus says. Because those are all the things, oh yeah, you know, I got saved and I went back to school and I get my degree in counseling or whatever. It might. That's all fine and well, that's good, it's not bad. But it's not a substitute for taking up your cross. A willingness to go, to be, to do, to die if necessary. To follow. You will never learn more about Jesus. We love to think about the power of the resurrection. But the fellowship of suffering, that's where you really learn about Jesus. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's hard when you have to sacrifice something because of, you know, 
I, I look around sometimes, I go, my life truly is not my own. You know, I have been bought with a price. My life is not my own. The things I do, the things we do, the things we engage in, uh, man, I would do none of these things if I was not a Christian. Are there things in your life, too, where you say, man, I wouldn't be doing this if I, I, I'd have a lot of other things I'd do that would, would be much more exciting to me if I wasn't a Christian? Because these things require sacrifice. And, and they're not always the most satisfying things. But what Jesus did required sacrifice. And they weren't always the most pleasant things. And here's where Jesus is going with this. He says, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And maybe someone has told you, man, get a life. Anybody ever said that to you? You just need to get a life. Or maybe you've said, I'm just trying to make a life for myself. And my life is going to be in this. My life is going to be in that. Well, in, in John, now listen to this. In John chapter 12, the same idea is shared by Jesus. And this is how he precedes it, okay? Just listen to what he says before that, because this explains it a little bit. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, listen carefully, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so Jesus is giving an example of a seed, a grain of wheat. It's just a little seed. And some of you, you know, that's maybe what your life is. It's not much, but it's a seed and it's my seed. And I'm going to hold on to it. I've got these things in my life and they're just, this is my me time. This is for me. You know, this is about me. And it's a little seed. And you think you're holding on to it, you know. But does a seed ever, if you sit, take that seed and you put it on your countertop, does it do anything? Does it ever change? Does anything ever happen with that seed? It just sits there, and at the end, all you've got still is a seed. And, and this is interesting to me. He says, if any, if, if, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains what? Alone. It, alone. And I have found loneliness to be one of the biggest problems that people face. Why? Because selfishness leads to loneliness. When you're all about you, people don't like hanging out with you because they're tired of hearing about you. But when you die to yourself, when you die to all of your ambitions and your desires, and this is my life and I'm going to make what I want and my ambitions and all, then all of a sudden you're free to serve others. And that brings forth fruit. So that grain of wheat, it's, if it sits there, it's got all the information in it to bring a lot of fruit, to bring a lot of tomatoes or corn. But as long as it sits there, on the counter, it does nothing. But once you take that thing and you bury it in the ground, it busts open and life comes out, doesn't it? And it's more life than the seed that you had there. And this is what you find. You think, you know, if I get saved, we always are afraid of the worst. If I get saved, God's going to call me to go places I hate. He's going to call me to do things I don't enjoy, and it's going to be a mess and miserable, but I'll do it for God. I'm going to suffer for the Lord. Suffer nothing. Once you find your life in losing it, all of a sudden you find this is fantastic. Yeah, it's tough. It's a sacrifice, but somehow there's joy in the midst of it. And I don't know how that happened. Look, just right next to that verse, surrender. Surrender. 
That's what it's all about. He who, he who struggles to seek and to find and to make a life for himself and to have the business and, and have the satisfaction, all, it's all of a sudden it's gone. When a man dies, all his plans die with him. But when you lose your life, not just for, and he says, lose your life for my sake, for my, to do what you want me to do, Jesus. That's when you will do what? What's it say right there? That's when you find it. So if you're, if you're saying to yourself, man, I'm just trying, someone told me to get a life. Well, here's how you get a life. You get a life by losing it. Then all of a sudden, the life you used to have all becomes in, encompassed in the life of Christ. And that's who you live for. Well, we need to finish up here. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. That just makes common sense. When you receive the ambassador, it's as if you receive the one who sent him. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So it's not all bad news. Not everyone is going to reject. Not everyone is going to persecute. There will be those Jesus says, hey, if someone receives you, guess what? They receive me too. And when someone receives or welcomes in a person that's carrying the message of God because they're wanting to hear from the Lord, they receive what kind of reward? A prophet's reward. It's very rewarding when you receive the things, the people of God. And there's a great example in, in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm not going to get into it today because I want to save plenty of time for communion. But you can just write down as a cross-reference. 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a Shunammite woman who receives the prophet Elisha. She sees him uh, kind of coming through their town on occasion. And she says, hey, you know, come on in here, have some food. And, and he comes in there and he eats. And, and it became a regular thing. And finally she approaches her husband and says, hey, let's build this guy a room on the house. Let's, let's do that. And so they build him a room so he can stay there. And he says, what can, we, what can I do for you? And he ends up, uh, she, she doesn't have any children, and he ends up uh, prophesying that she will have a, a son. And So you can read that there. So you say, well, do we have to build an apartment on our house and have someone come live with us? You know, is that what it takes? He says, no, just a cup of cold water. Just if you see someone laboring in the Lord and you just bless them, you get a reward for that, Jesus says. Just a cup of cold water is all, nothing, not something big or spectacular. It's, folks, listen, just, I know there's a lot of distractions right now, but I just wanted to, to hear this. Uh, it's one of Mother Teresa's quotes having to do with, um, there, are, there are no big deeds, there are no great deeds, there are only little deeds done with great love. And so it's not about doing more or doing greater things. It's about just doing the simple things with great excellence, with great love. And that's what really, that's what God notices. And he says, that's what will be rewarded. There's a reward there. So lots to think about, lots to ponder. Here's what we're going to do. Phil, uh, can you come up and and just play a song while we prepare for communion? Phil's going to come up and lead us in a little song for communion. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's stand. Just have this personal time with the Lord just to prepare your heart for communion. You may all have a seat.
And it, is, it has been our practice for uh, a couple of months now to just take some time uh, before we partake of the Lord's Supper, the, the body uh, and the blood, to uh, minister to one another in the Word. Uh, it was a very common practice in the early church that during the public gathering, uh, they would share uh, prophecy. Now, prophet simply, or prophecy is simply edification, something that builds others up, exhortation, something that challenges others to, pr- to press on, or comfort, something that challenges others to, to get up, to comfort them. So edification, exhortation, and comfort. We're not looking for hellfire and brimstone prophecies. We are all children of God here in this room, I hope. Uh, so let's just take this time. Uh, we'll, we'll pass out the elements at the end. Uh, take this time. to, st- If you want to read a verse from your Bible, stand up, and I'll ask you to just speak Nice and loudly so everybody can hear you. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord, we do pray for all the, the teachers, uh, both homeschooling moms, dads that uh, teach at home, and those that are involved with uh, whether public school or private school, all those that instruct. Lord, we just lift them up to you and pray that, um, that they would have an impact uh, that goes beyond uh, the, the textbook and goes beyond the classroom, Lord. I pray that the love of Christ would be exuded through them uh, in all places that they are, Lord, that they would disseminate the fragrance of life. Amen. Let's have the folks that are going to serve communion come on up. Now, as the communion elements are being passed around, uh, you know, we do this one of two things that uh, Jesus instructed the disciples to do. He instructed us to baptize, and we see that played out in the, in the uh, New Testament. And he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And so uh, it's always been very interesting to me that the thing, Jesus didn't say, you know, construct memorials or, you know, big monuments to me. He just said, share a meal together. And there's something that happens when you share meals together. Meals equal time. And this table fellowship, you guys may go ahead and start passing it out, uh, is very important. It's a very important time for us to sit at the table with Jesus and with each other. And as these things come around, again, he said, do this in remembrance of me or in a, in a um, recognition of what he's done for us <clears throat> as a reminder. And so uh, as they come around, if you're here today and, and you have not... You don't have that relationship with Christ. You've not, you're not sure. You're still trying to figure it out. You know, feel free to let the elements pass by you. Okay? This is a, a meal that we share in remembrance. So it's okay. You, know, you can watch and, and observe how we uh, do this and don't feel like you have to partake because of what everybody's going to think if you don't. Right? But if you're here and you're saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a wretched sinner and I don't deserve God, why would he want anything to do with me? Then you have to understand that this meal is a meal of, of the, the invitation of a gracious God. It's not offered to you because of anything you've done or not done. It's offered to you because of, of what Christ has done. So if that's you and you'd like to confess Jesus publicly among the believers, then please take the, the cup that symbolizes his blood and the piece of matzah that symbolizes his body broken 
And now hold on to them once you get them. We'll partake together. Good, Phil. You play something? <clears throat> Has everybody been served? Does everybody have the... Okay, we're still going there. While that, uh, the final folks are being served, um, Phil, I might ask you to, to play that one more time in just a second here. Um, you know, we talked about a lot today that certainly is preparation for sharing the Lord's Supper. I mean, here we are willing to be identified with Him here among ourselves. And we recognize that uh, one of the things that maybe we need to surrender is the uh, ability to control what other people think of us, whether it comes to our Christianity or, or whatever it might be, uh, willingness to, uh, to stand for the light in a dark world. And so uh, there may be many other things that, that God is calling you to surrender. You know, surrender your own ambitions, your own plans, or your own desires, or your own right to be right in that argument or that division that's happened in your family. But surrender the right to get vengeance for what's been done to you in a thing or a place or, or some kind of way. So there are other things. Surrender, surrendering the right. Uh, again, it goes back to what other people think of us. But surrendering to the right to uh, justify ourselves about a certain thing. That's a big one for me. Got to make sure people know that, you know, I was right in that or whatever the case may be. When Jesus was crucified, he was led like a lamb before his slaughterers, silent. He could have justified, well, this is, don't you realize who I am? Don't you know what I'm about? You know, I'm right and you're wrong. He didn't say any of that, did he? He allowed himself to be nailed to the cross because without crucifixion, without dying to self, without death, there can never be new life. And we're so scared of death that we never embrace that and then we never live in what? We never walk in the newness of life because we're afraid to die to ourselves. We're afraid to die to that thing. So as Phil leads us in that one more time, just, just the chorus, um, if there's something that you know God is asking you to surrender, just stand up right where you are. We, because look, here's the truth. Probably all of us need to surrender something. But if there's something that's particular, that's recent, that's within the last week or two, where it's on your mind, it's on your heart, and you just know that God is speaking to you this morning, then you know what? Stand up and, and acknowledge before God and before us, hey, I've got something in my life I need to surrender. Go ahead, Phil. Amen, amen. Those of us that are still seated, let's stand and join those that are standing because we recognize, and I'd have been standing with you folks that were standing. I'm standing up this morning too. There's something in my life I need to surrender. And uh, so I'm with you guys. And that's what this communion is about this morning. It's about Jesus even there in the garden saying, Lord, if there's any possible way, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And, and we see even the crucifixion. The resurrection, all Jesus submitting himself, surrendering himself to the will of the Father. So as we take this, we'll, we'll start with the, um, the wafer. As Jesus was gathered with his disciples and he, he took that bread and it was broken and it was passed out, it was shared. And he said, as often as you take this bread, that is the representation of my body, as often as you do it, you do it in remem- remembrance of me and my broken body. In the same way he took the cup, poured it out, 
shared it with the others. And he said, this cup is the the cup of the new covenant, the new agreement, the new way things are going to operate. Grace, 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 grace. Not law, not rules and rituals, but love and grace. And he said, as often as you drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. And they left singing a hymn, didn't they? Just, uh, again, one, one chorus of a hymn to send us out of here with? Yeah, let's, uh, let's just sing the first verse uh, that we sang earlier. Take my life and let it be a great hymn of consecration as we go out. <laughs>